They're like, Jim, what are you going to do with this one today for a scripture? Well, stay tuned. We'll see how it goes. For those of you who are uh, engaging with us today uh, for the first time in, in probably a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll let you know that we're on a search today, uh, a kind of a journey together. We're talking about biblical-sounding phrases that actually aren't in the Bible. The things that you hear people say, they sound like good wisdom. They sound like something that might come from Scripture, but they're actually not there. It's something that we've created along the way as an understanding. Uh, we began by examining the belief that God helps those who themselves, right? We probably all have heard that phrase of the Lord helps those who help themselves, not actually in the Bible. The biblical reality is a portrait of God who is inclined to help those who cannot help themselves and calls us to be the community that participates in that. Last week, we combed through the phrase, God works in mysterious ways. You know, the the ethereal God who is out there doing something that none of us ever understand. And yet, as we surveyed Scripture, we we gained hopefully an image, a portrait of God who is at work in ways that we can know, understand, and more importantly, can participate in. That God's ways are not mysterious. They're well known among us in the stories that are told, not only in the Scriptures, but in our communities that are in action. This week, we put under the microscope the phrase, charity begins at home, right? To think about charity that begins at home. When you think about charity, one of the things I think many of us kind of have in mind is is that charity is a costly proposition. Charity costs us in our finances. Charity is costly when it comes to our time. Charity can be costly in our relationships, in the emotions that are invested in this. And when we look at these factors, it may lead some of us to just simply think that charity should be for those that are closest to us, those that are in our quote-unquote home. And yet we also understand that the need for charity in the world around us goes beyond just our homes. There are great needs in the world around us, and it demands a response from those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ and the title disciple. That there should be a charitable response from us. And many of you know, and I've told you this story multiple times, you know my history, my church history. I grew up in the, in the Baptist church as a kid. And in the Baptist church, we, we kind of had an order of life together. We, we attended Sunday morning, and we attended Sunday school, and then we went to church afterwards. So you were there at 10 o'clock for Sunday school, and then at 11 o'clock you went to church. And the expectation was that you would be there 54 out of 52 Sundays. Right? That was perfect attendance in the Baptist church. Every Sunday plus. But not only did you come Sunday morning, you came Sunday night because that was the discipleship time. You came and and learned more as a congregation. On Wednesday night, you would gather for Baptist friends, you remember? Prayer meeting, right? A little bit of teaching time and some prayer afterwards. Thursday night, you would go on visitation. You would take cards of families that had had come and, and visited your church or for members who maybe had a need or hadn't been in a while, and you would go out and you would visit them in their home. When was the last time a preacher came to any of your houses? 
Not very common today that folks visit in home. But we used to do that as a kid when I was growing up in the Baptist church. Now, some Wednesday nights, we would have a missionary who would come. And they would tell us about the mission field where they were serving. It might be the Lyons or the Boyd family who served for decades in the Philippines. It could be a family from Africa or China or Central or South America, and they would come and share stories from their work in the mission field. They would bring different things with them to set up a little display and show different things about village life or community life of where they were serving, and they would tell us the story. Some would be new to the mission field. They would be preparing to go. Others would have been people who had served for a long time. But all of them would come to Blue Ridge Baptist Temple for the purpose of asking the church to prayerfully and financially support their missional efforts. To ask for charity. And that was my experience with missionaries growing up. Not all of us have that same experience. I I recognize that maybe yours is a a tempered experience with missionaries. You might not be familiar with one that comes to the church and speaks and tells the story. You might hear it from stories that are relayed to you as a group of people. A missionary standing up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening telling about their story is probably about as foreign to some of us as speaking in tongues and dancing in the aisles during worship, right? It's not our experience. It's not our expression. From the Methodist tradition and what I have come to appreciate, we tell it more through the stories of people who are serving in a variety of missional areas. We do this in conferences and meetings. Max Marble, who was for a a long time the director of our mission service and justice ministry, would constantly remind us of the Christian medical mission and ministry that was in Ludhiana, India. His family served as missionaries in India. He had a deep passion for this, and he would lift it up every annual conference and tell the story. Or we'd have someone who would come from the Lydia Patterson Institute. Lydia Patterson Institute is a 100-year-old United Methodist nonprofit school that resides on the border between Texas and Mexico. It serves a Hispanic population of kids who cross the border each day to come and get a quality education and then go back across the border to their homes. We would talk about what it means for us as constituent churches in this conference to share through our apportionments, our charity, in the giving to support kids in in that form. Some of us are a little bit more familiar maybe with a a closer story of Helen Shepard, the missionary that we have supported for many years, even though some of us may have never met Helen. She's a United Methodist missionary from Missouri who served for a period of time in Korea, but most recently retired from her role as director of Grace Hospice in Mongolia. She served in a ministry of facilitating in-home hospice care in one of the poorest regions in Mongolia. This is some of the missionary stories that we're more familiar with. And yet others of us, I'm I'm pretty sure that's even foreign language to you. When you think of mission work, you think of it more centralized to the context of our local church. The the world of world missionaries is something that you're not familiar with. 
And yet what we know is is there are people who go out beyond the walls of the church and beyond their local culture and context to serve in foreign communities and parts of the world because they want to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere. And it's costly. It's costly in time. It's costly in money. And it's costly in relationships. Now, some of us, though, when we think of charity, we may have a little bit different perspective of it. We might be ingrained in us. We might have come to understand that charity is something that really has more of a a centric nature. We use that phrase, charity begins at home. And maybe even for some of us, charity stays close to home. It might look like this for us, that we give charity to our church. We give charity to our blood relatives. We might, through our philanthropic opportunities and efforts, give to that. And it's that close-knit circle right here within our community that we give to and that we support through our time and our money and our relationships. But does charity really begin at home and stay at home? You think about the phrase, charity begins at home kind of sounds biblical, right? Make you think that that would be something that would come out of the Bible, and yet it really doesn't. It has a different kind of source to it. And when you look it up and you think about researching that phrase, it's actually attributed to Sir Thomas Brown. And Thomas Brown was an English physician, writer, and theologian. In 1642, he wrote this phrase. He said, But how shall we expect charity towards others when we are uncharitable to ourselves. Charity begins at home, is the voice of the world. A couple of other similar quotes that kind of fall along that same vein come from John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe in 1383 wrote, Charity should begin at himself. And Charles Dickens in 1844 said, Charity begins at home and justice begins next door. That was his phrase. So we kind of have this ideology, this understanding that charity begins at home. And maybe for some of us it's a closed-knit circle. It stays close to home. When you think about Paul's words to Timothy and and this letter that he writes to him, you, you could come away quickly with the impression that that's Paul's kind of understanding, that charity begins and stays close to home as well. It's a small little snippet of this letter that he writes to Timothy. And it's in particular about widows, a very needy part of Timothy's community. It's a social demographic that we don't quite understand because it's not normative to our culture. In Timothy's time and in Paul's time and in first century Mediterranean life, young women were barely beyond puberty were often given in marriage to much older men. This was not by their choice, by the way. These were all prearranged marriages for the most part, between father and suitor. And because of this, the mortality rate of men was much higher than women. Because of the age difference, men would die earlier than the women. Because of military service, women would find themselves to be widows earlier in life than what they might expect. If a young woman was widowed, her care would revert back to a a legal guardian. If she had a male in her family that was still existing, he would have guardianship over her until she could remarry or until they were separated by death. That was the way the world worked. 
But if she was a widow of means, her legal guardian took over her wealth as well. So you can see how this world of widows in Timothy's time could be a vulnerable state for them, that they could find themselves being abused and overlooked. And yet, within their psyche, within Judaism, was the legislation by their scrolls that they were supposed to care for, elevate, and lift up the widow among them, that you should take priority in providing them care. It was a continued social and cultural norm even in Paul's day and Timothy's time to care for widows. And it's evident by Paul's writing that this is a premium concern because he writes specifically to Timothy about this. He gives him counsel on how to care for the widows among them. An ingrained responsibility, it should be a system that legitimizes the widows who are truly in need and those who have family to encourage them to take care of them first, not the community. To hand your widow off to your family and say it is your responsibility to care for them. But if they can't be cared for by family, to make sure that the community elevates them and does this. And if they're self-sufficient, make sure they stay self-sufficient and not rely upon the community. Which meant for Timothy, he had an extra layer of pastoral responsibility. And that was organizing the care, somebody say it, of the widows, right? Can you imagine having that kind of responsibility to make sure that they are properly cared for? To make sure that the charity of the community flows appropriately to those. Now, Understand with me that that, that reading this small little piece certainly could lead us to believe that that as charity was set up in Timothy's community for the community, that that could be the way that we could practice this as well. We could take that example and say to ourselves, charity begins at home and stays close to home. And yet I don't think that's a full understanding of Paul and his writings and his life. Because Paul was one who lived beyond that perspective of charity being just at home. Paul was a person who preached the gospel that was for all people. Because he said in Jesus Christ there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. There is no longer male or female. This gospel is for all people. The charity of God is for all people. He took into account and understood this Jewish legislation that meant that you cared for the stranger, not just the widow, that it was charity for all people, not just some. When we look at Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the story of the Good Samaritan, we should walk away from that understanding that our charity isn't limited. It should be broad-based in how it's applied. And so Paul teaches about charity that goes to the community local but flows outside of it. It's a fair assessment, I think, to say that Paul, regarding charity, would say that it should be applied at home and in the world. When we think of charity, it's not an either-or kind of circumstance. Rather, it's two sides of the same coin lived out, conjoined together. As a community of faith, we practice this. And we do an admirable job, my friend. As a community of faith with our charity within, you think of the ways in which we express this through our time, our resources, and our relationships. Our shepherds team goes periodically 
to family members of our community of faith. Those who can no longer worship with us, we go to them. And we serve them communion, and we serve them presence, and we give them grace through our, our being with them. You think of people who have signed up for the meal train to serve Randy and Marcella Maxwell, to help provide for them in a time of dire need. Or for families who gather around to comfort those who mourn, like the Dunbars and the Staffords and the Hintons, like Jessica and her family. Or for the families that we pray for, that we text, that we Facebook, that we share in the moments of lifting them up as they are going through times of trouble and times of need. We are charitable within, but we're also charitable without. I think of the folks that serve faithfully in Baby Grace that go on those Saturdays to distribute diapers and sometimes clothes to children who are impoverished and in need and that they give of their time and their resources and build relationships with this community. I think of people who participate in the Mozambique Covenant and have given generously to it, have traveled there and been to those communities and seen what's going on as Methodism flourishes in Mozambique. Those of you who have supported Helen Shepherd for years and given to that kind of cause as a missionary and now the opportunity for us to envision a new missional alignment with someone that's in a foreign country. For those of you who go to Spofford routinely and give of your time and engaging these children. For those of you who've been on national and international mission trips and have gone to serve as part of St. John's, as a community that's given time and resources and built relationships in foreign lands. All of us have been charitable within, charitable without. And all of us should continue that. You see, that's the words of encouragement for today, is to remind us that this is something that all of us should live out in our daily lives. It's an invitation for us to be charitable within and charitable without and to find those points of engagement for each and every one of us where that expression can be lived. I read a post on Facebook this week, rather long, kind of lengthy story that a man told. I want to share with you some of the salient points. I'm not going to read to you the whole story. But the man tells about engaging a a homeless guy outside of Best Buy in his community. He kind of watched the guy from afar. And and this homeless man was standing outside the building, but he didn't bother anybody. He didn't bother any of the customers who were coming in or going out of the Best Buy. He didn't stand there with a sign saying, I'm helpless, I need help from you. He, He didn't talk to anybody. Rather, he just stood by the garbage can and he watched. If somebody walked into the Best Buy and and put a sack that was from a a local convenience store or from a, a local fast food restaurant, if he put it in the garbage can, he would drag it out. And then he'd look inside of it to see if there were any scraps left over because that's how he was getting his meal. This guy watched him from his vehicle for a little bit and then he left. He says as he drove away, there was something that was kind of tugging at his heart and his spirit and He says it was the Holy Spirit nudging him and saying to him, there's something that you could do for this young man. So he turned around and he went back to the Best Buy and found the guy. He walked up to him and asked him if he could just simply buy him a hot meal. He had noticed what was going on and said, you know, can I take you somewhere and buy you a meal? And the guy said, certainly, I would appreciate that. So he gets in his car and the young man gets on his bicycle and they go across the street to a fast food restaurant. And and the writer says that he bought him the biggest 
hot meal that he could afford, you know, could buy at this little restaurant. And the guy sat down and started eating it. But the gentleman left him while he was eating his meal. Drove away again. He said on his second adventure away from this young man, the spirit started tugging at him again and he turned around and went back and thought there's something else that I could do for this young man. He went back the second time and he found him at the restaurant finishing up his meal. And he asked him if he could buy him a gift card so that he could have several meals, not just the one that he had just purchased. The young man said with great gratitude how much he would appreciate that. So he bought him the gift card and then he sat down with him. He not only gave him the gift card, he asked him, he says, tell me a little bit about your story. How did you wind up where you are? The young man said to him that his sister had died recently and it financially devastated the family and he had nowhere to go. His family couldn't support him living with him. He had no job, so he found himself on the streets. He also told the man that he had recently been diagnosed with cancer. He lifted up his shirt and he showed him this protruding mass in his abdomen. And he said to the guy, he says, you know what? I'm going to be on the streets for a period of time, but probably not that much longer because they anticipate that cancer will take me pretty quickly. And the guy sat there with the young man and listened to his story. The young man said to him eventually in the conversation, he says, you know, I was praying for you today, which kind of took the good Samaritan back. You know, he was sitting here thinking, I'm the one who's coming in the name of God to give and to aid you. And you said you're praying for me today? He says, yeah, well, not you in particular, but I was praying for someone like you, that God would send someone my way that could provide for my need just this one time, just today. Now, I'll be honest with you, friends. I, I don't know if that story is true or not. I don't know the details and the circumstances of the story. I know that that story has been reposted on Facebook over 50,000 times. Because it has a point. It has a specific point for each and every one of us. Charity is costly. If you examine the cost to this man in the time the resources that he gave, but the emotional investment in this moment, charity is costly. And maybe because of our understanding of the commodity of these things, our time, our resources, our our relationship and emotions, maybe we want to keep charity to a small group because we're pressed in all of these areas. We want to make sure that we get the most out of what we give. So we don't share maybe our charity beyond our family, beyond our church, beyond our philanthropic efforts. Here's the question I would ask you. Then what is the point of being a Christian in the world beyond those three areas? What is it about us that we can take out into the world to give away to all people. John Wesley counseled communities and people in the Methodist movement to earn all that you can, to save all that you can, to give all that you can away. And he even modeled this in the charity of his own life. 
in the time and the money and the relationships that he gave to people who were in hospitals, in prisons, and in orphanages in England. He didn't spend time just with the bands and the classes in the church. He saw the need to go beyond and give his charity away to those who would never show up at church. He took missionary journeys to the Americas. How many of you know that he came to the American colonies in the 1700s, right? He came over here to show that expression and to share that expression of Christian community with people in these colonies. If he had never made those trips, where would we be today? Right? In the Baptist church? Probably only a couple of us would, right, Doug? The rest of you might have found a different expression to worship in because Methodism might not have come to our shores. Without a broader understanding of charity in Wesley's life, where would we be today? Without a broader understanding of charity in our lives, what will transpire in the world that brings good news? You see, I think the point of charity is, is that yes, it begins at home, but it's also got to reach out to the world around us. It is both. And it's going to cost us some of our time. It's going to cost us some of our resources. It's going to cost us in our relationships. But it is an investment for now and for eternity. And I would suggest to you that it is the highest calling in Christ Jesus for any one of us who claims his name and wants to be his disciple. To come and follow in the ways of charity. Giving of our time, our money, and our relationship to anyone who is in need. And so I want to encourage you to go into the world and charitably live. To live in the world around us that we might bring light and life into the darkest of places. Here's what I hope that you take away from today. A couple of salient points maybe to remember. Some of us may believe that charity begins at home and stays kind of close to home because charity is costly when it comes to our time, our money, and our relationships. But when we look at the holistic teachings of people like Jesus and Paul and what Timothy is taught, we get the example that charity knows no boundaries. Charity should be for anyone that we encounter in our lives. And that we are commanded... We are commanded to be Christ's presence in this world, to be light and life in this world. And one of our primary means of accomplishing this is by living charitably, not only one with another, but with those beyond us. And so here's your invitation for today. I'm going to encourage you to take an opportunity this week to read and pray and discern what charity means to you. If you flip open in your uh, worship guide, you're going to see our Going Deeper devotional piece for this week. I didn't call you to, to be able to read that, discern through it, pray over it, and see if it might guide you on this journey of discovery. And if you're not already involved in some capacity, get involved. There are ample missional engagement moments that are listed in the back part of our worship guide. Opportunities to come and serve with one another and to serve the world beyond, to come and give of our charitable time and resources and relationship. Because it is our charity. It is our charity in these areas that will bring light and life to the world. It is this way that we can impact one person at a time. So will you join me in a moment of prayer?
Lord, as we come to the closing of this moment, we pray and give thanks to you for you have been so charitable to each and every one of us. You give to us your time, your presence in this world and in our lives. We see this through redemption. We see this through our own renewal. We know that your charity is immeasurable. You give to us all of your resources. For everything in this world is at our disposal. It is intended for our good. And so we recognize that your charity is immeasurable. And you give to us daily a new relationship with you and with one another. For by your grace and by your mercy you have called us your children. And this is because your charity is immeasurable. So help us to hear your calling today. And help us to do your bidding. Make us to be ambassadors of charity in this world. Giving away our time, our resources. Giving away our relationships. Not only at home, but also in the world. Make us to be your light that brings life to a dark world. And we ask these things in the name of your Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. May your Spirit speak to us, prompt us, and encourage us that we may be the kind of people who truly reflect your love for all. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.